concluding our study of Exodus this morning. And um, it's, uh, it's bittersweet, in a sense, for me. I don't know. I've just been thinking of Exodus for over a year now. And you're all like, yeah, we know. <laughs> it's felt it. But I hope that um, just slowing down and just seeing the gospel and God's grace in a book we all just kind of, we know. We know the, the gist. We know the story. It's about exodus. It's about leaving. It's about escape from slavery. And about not so much the event, but the, the hero, the, the rescuer, the deliverer. It's about Yahweh coming to the rescue. Um, and, and our series has been, it's been called Exodus, Rescued and Kept. And um, it's kind of like the... You know, the beginning of a fairy tale, right? Or the end of the fairy tale, sorry. Um, the, the prince comes, the hero comes, they're rescued, and then what? They live happily ever after. It's not just he rescues the princess and drops her off and says, See ya. But he, they're, they're together. That's, the, that's what makes it the fairy tale. It would be very much diminished if... Hey, yeah, Bruce, you do, yeah, we can get off here. I got somewhere to go. All right, bye. You know, that would be a weird fairy tale. It wouldn't be as, I don't think we would share that story. But he saves the princess, and then he's with the princess, and they live together. And and that's probably the part that um, I think we miss when we think about Exodus. It is is about their escape. It is about God delivering them out from this, the enemy but then there's this desire of the hero to live with them happily ever after. That's his heart. That's he, what he wants. He wants to be with his people and his people to be with him. And then, you know, once you get into chapter 25 to the end, that's what it's all about. Is how, how is this going to happen? How can we be together? How can I bring you to myself? How can I be in your presence when there's this divide, when there's sin? And, and we've seen, as we've slowly walked through, you know, chapter by chapter, we've seen that God has this plan to make this possible. And in, in, this, in this time of God's redemptive history, what he's doing is, in this in this. Um, he is going to come and, and be with them in a way he's never been with his people before. And this is the culmination. This is the, this is the goal of the last um, 15 chapters is move-in day. Um, so with that said, let's, let's turn to Exodus 40. It's there in your bulletin if you don't have the scripture there. And um, let's... Um, read God's Word. And before I do that, let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that um, You um, inspired prophet, mediator Moses to record all this that has happened in, his, in, his, um, in Your ministry to Your people and You're calling him to be a prophet and mediator, that he wrote all this down, that it was preserved for, for thousands and thousands of years, and we have it here. 
Uh, we thank you that on every page we see your not only your righteousness and your glory, but your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness. Lord, drive this home for us and and and, and give us a through this last time in, in Exodus for a while, just a, a full understanding of just how wonderful uh, you are, just how present and faithful you are, and that this is not just a, a story from long ago, but this is the story of now. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the, ta- in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and you shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest." You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. In the first month in the second year on the first day of the month the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put, its pole, <clears throat> put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and the screened and screened the ark of testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of the meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in the place of the screen for the door of the tabernacle And he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We all, um, we all hate moving, correct? Yes. Uh, moving is not fun. The, moving, the, the, the first part of move, moving is the, um, is the packing and the throwing away or the real, realization that you don't have time to sort and throw away, which is the worst. I, know, I, still have a bo- I still have more than one box in my garage from probably two moves ago. Can I admit that? I'm sorry. Um, but it takes time. And this took about, this was about a year after the Passover that they have been, you know, that they've been working on this tabernacle. And, and it's, it's um, you know, when you're moving, when you're moving from a house, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not fun to move. But you know what is a fun move-in day is when you go to college. That's fun. Y'all remember that? Move-in day? Because that's like maybe one carload of stuff. And you're just excited about the opportunity. and Oh, this is going to be great. You're setting your stuff up. And you know, the parents are like, yeah, this is going to get old a little bit. But right now it's fun. It's the first time you've done it. Anyway, uh, but it's move-in day. And it's exciting. It's exciting. And so I want you to think about that kind of move-in day. <laughs> not, not the move that once you're older like me, you're like, oh, there's so many things. But just the excitement of, as I'm thinking about, I have a senior, he's going to be going to college. It's going to be exciting. You know, it's going to, that's, I'm going to be sad, you know, his mom more so. But um, I'll be sad too a little bit. But, uh, but he's going to be excited because, look, this new thing. And, and we see God excitedly eager to move into this new dwelling um, there's three things I want us to see here. First is the emphasis on his dwelling. And we see that in verses 1 through 33. Second, the fullness of his indwelling. And then thirdly, the permanence of his presence and guidance. So first, the emphasis on his dwelling. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of lists in chapters 25 through 40. Uh, there are four lists of uh, things to do with the tabernacle. It happens four different times. And, and we, we skipped one. I'll, I, if you remember that, we, I told you that we're going to look. We looked at very closely at chapters 25 through 31, this list of specif- specifications that God's instructions while he was, Moses was on the, uh, the mountain. He said, this is how I want you to build things. This is how I want it to go. And, um, and then we have a second list that you know, we made reference to, which is actually him carrying it out. Um, him manufacturing all these pieces uh, in, in chapters 36 through 39. So we have, we have a list of specification or instruction. 
uh, in chapters 25 through 31. Um, we have a second list explaining the making, the manufacture of everything in chapters 36 through 39. And then we have two more lists in this last chapter. Uh, we have in verses um, 1 through uh, uh, 15, again, directions now for uh, setting up the tabernacle. How are we going to set up and erect this tent? And, and he gives, again, God gives directions again on the process of preparing and setting up uh, this tent of meeting. And then in, in, in verses uh, 16 through 33, you have the record of completion, the, 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 the uh, construction of the tabernacle. And so again and again and again, God keeps mentioning the, the furnishings, the pieces, the, 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 the poles, the, the, the coverings, the, his, his, the, and then most, most importantly, the Ark of the Covenant and, 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 the, and, the, uh, and the basin and the, and the altar and then the altar of incense. He's mentioned all this now four times. And the question is, why, why so much repetition? Why, why state these things so exhaustively? Why? And... The first thing, while anybody repeats anything, is for emphasis. I really, this is really important to me. This is really, really, really important to me. That you do it exactly as I say, and that this gets constructed in the right way. Um, This is God's main goal. To have a place in the midst of his people for him to dwell with them. It shows us how important his presence is. His desire to draw near and be in the midst of his people. It shows us his nature as well. He has this heart for his people and to be with his people. But it's also his nature that he is a God who is constant. He's a God who is faithful, is a God who doesn't change. Everything was done as He prescribed. Everything. And we made that point last week. That, that even in the, after the, the instructions, the specifications were given in chapters 25 through 31, we had this huge downfall, the sin of the people. But even after that... God provided men that would that would create and lead and, and this and this tabernacle, the, 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 the parts were manufactured, and now here we have now set it up in this way, and it was in this way that Moses did it. Everything was done exactly as God prescribed. The sin of God's people didn't change that. Um, Motir says, The disaster of the golden calf became the occasion when Israel learned the sinfulness of sin, the the exceeding graciousness of grace, and the inflexible determination of the Lord to fulfill His stated purposes. That's such a good sentence. They learned... The sinfulness of sin, the exceeding graciousness of grace, 
and the inflexible determination of the Lord to fulfill His stated purposes. Nothing will thwart Him. Nothing will get in His way. One of my favorite verses from the Old Testament is Malachi 3.6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, Israel, are not destroyed. And so when we we see the emphasis of this, we see that He wants to be with His people. Also, we see that we take great delight in the fact that our God is constant. That He doesn't change His mind. I changed my mind four times about what to eat last night. Looked in the fridge, looked in the pantry, looked in the outside, outside freezer, looked in the pantry again, thought of this, thought of that. I, you know, I'm, I'm very fickle, even about food. That is, I look like I'm not picky, but I am sometimes. Anyway, I change my mind all the time. You know, my children can attest to that. But Dad, you said, I know things changed. Circumstances changed. Sorry. Ugh. God never changes. Never. And we see again and again and again Him state these lists, state the instructions, and never over all this time does anything change up. And that is a great comfort to Moses, a great comfort to Israel, a great comfort to you and me. The Lord does not change So we are secure because He has said, He has said it, that we are secure in Him. So we have first the emphasis on His dwelling. Second, we have uh, the fullness of His indwelling. You know, we get to to, um, uh, these last few verses, which is really the focus of this, uh, this passage, I believe, and... In verses thirty-four through thirty-five, we um, you just see the just this is just an aside, just how how intensely and how quickly God moves in. There's no there's no gaps, right? There's no waiting. Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. <laughs> it, you know, one commentator said it was just look at God's eagerness. To, to, to move in. His eagerness to, to step into the midst of His people. To cover the tent and to fill the tabernacle. There's almost a sense of urgency. You know? Uh, it's like, oh, it's finally done. Okay, we can move in. This is finally here. Let's do it. You know? It's like, it's like a kid on Christmas. It's like, can we open the presents? No. Can we open the presents? No. Can we open the presents? No. Okay, now you get... You know, it's just like there's paper everywhere. And God, so there's a sense of eagerness and He just moves right in. No more words. It's, it's done. I'm there. I want to be near you. But then, then something interesting happens. I don't know if y'all caught this, but verse 35, it says, Then Moses couldn't enter in the tabernacle. And it seems, you know, at first problematic. Why is the mediator of Israel unable to enter? Has access to God, one of the like essential main points of this whole thing, of, of these 15 chapters, is that, is that now 
been compromised or diminished somehow? Why is it now that Moses, it's all done and it's been done just right, that now Moses can't even go in? Well, there's two things I think we can get from this. Two things are communicated. And uh, one, it's the Lord that's sovereignly in charge of his own front door. That access is not up to Moses' whim, not up to Israel's desire. He sets, he sets that. No one deserves access. That's seen many times in this, in this uh, book, but here it's clear, like, Moses tried, can't go in. So I think it shows us, one, that no one deserves access, but God does invite us on His terms. And the basis is on the basis of atonement. It's on the basis of atonement. And that's why all that was laid out. The different sacrifices, different things. And by the way, it doesn't take long. Moses is invited in in Leviticus 1.1. It's not a long time. It's just at that moment he does it. But we need to realize that it's, it's not... Now that God, that the tabernacle is built, God's in the presence. It's not a free-for-all. We remember back to what, what's the basis of entrance? What's the basis of access? It's blood sacrifice. And not so much the, the blood of bulls and goats, but what that sacrifice points to. So it's fitting that, yes, God is, He's there. But He sets the terms. And here's the other thing we learn. I think this is maybe the, the more of what's being said here. It's, it's an emphasis on, on, emphasis on just how potent and full the presence of God was in the tent. Professor Currid says, Moses was not able to enter because of the effulgence of radiance, of the divine splendor, was too much for them to bear. And I, I use, because I just want to say effulgence. I've never said that before from the pulpit. Anyway, there it is. But God wasn't just there. He was, you know, as kids you say, He's so there. <laughs> he's, <laughs> when we say that, we mean I'm totally going to be there. But like, He is, it's not just smoke and in mirrors, it's not just kind of a little bit, right? And this isn't, I'm not saying that the fullness of God was in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle was completely full of God's presence. So much so, in such a powerful and real and potent way, it was, it was more concentrated than apparently... On Mount Sinai itself. Because Moses entered in. Right? And you, so it's almost like you've, you've got this image. And, and I think this is the takeaway. Is this, this, this theophany. This, this, this isn't who God, you know, God in his fullness on, the, on Sinai either. But all that glory and the, and the, and the glory cloud and the, and the lightning and the, and the radiance. And, and, and all that was on the mountain now all comes down and is in this tent that's not that big. It's much smaller than this room. And he's so present there. His presence is so real and so potent that the glory of God is so weighty that he couldn't 
enter the room. He couldn't enter the tent. A similar occurrence happens in 1 Kings 8, 11, which the priests of Israel could not enter, stand to enter the tent of meeting because the glory cloud had descended upon it. It's not just smoke and light. He was really and truly there with them. It was, as we say in Mississippi, slap full. <laughs> or plum full. But I don't know. Some people say that, you know. I don't know. But it was so full of God's presence. There was no room. And that's hard to even think about. You know, we know, you know light and matter and all that. And if you get into physics, you go, that doesn't make sense. What well, happened? <laughs> it happened. It wasn't that God was... All of God was there, but it was so much of God there, so much of Yahweh present, that there was no room for anyone else. His real presence is essential to His people. And God showed that He was really presence, really present. And that Moses, there was no room. His indwelling of the tabernacle was awesome to behold, glorious, and just so, so potent and dense was His glory that there was no, no one else could enter. They could know then that He was really there in their midst. So we have this uh, emphasis on dwelling and the fullness of His indwelling, and then thirdly, the permanence of His presence and guidance. We see that in verses 36 through 38. He was not only there, He was active. He wasn't just in the tent and going, y'all, y'all figure it out. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm here. Just let me know. Let me know what you need. Let me know what's going on out there. No, He was active. He was in active control. He was... Um, he was leading. And he shows that he's the same God who had led, led his people in the tricky and testing days between Egypt and Sinai. That, that, that same God that they depended on to get them to Sinai is going to be the same God in the same ways. Would, but in a, in, in a more profound way, not just kind of appearing and guiding, but now He's going to live in their midst and that, and that cloud will never depart from them. It says that He was going to do this throughout all their journeys. It was there by day and night. There was not a moment in which they could look up and not see a, a, a sign of His presence. He was there through this whole journey, which they won't know, but we know from reading ahead will last over 40 years. He's there and He's leading, isn't He? Their movement was totally dictated by the glory cloud. Look what it says, verses 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the, over the tabernacle, 
the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set it out, set out until the day that it was taken up. That's better than a watch, isn't it? <laughs> There's so much of so much of what we do is trying to keep up with what we're supposed to do and keep a schedule, make a list. If not for my calendar on my phone, I would be lost. Um, I still forget to put things on there. And uh, if not, the thing that's so great about that calendar is that I will try to double schedule things, and it won't let me. And my my brain will do it. My brain will go, "Oh yeah, you can be at two places at once." I don't know why, but that calendar won't let me do that. Where, where am I? What am I supposed to do today? What's the best use of my time? Where where do I? How do I spend the day? But more than that, it's like, what? How do I? Where am I supposed to work? Where am I supposed to live? Where should we send our kids to school? Where should we raise our children? Where, and where's a good place for retirement? What? So many questions. And, and what the simplicity of this is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> Where am I supposed to be? I'm supposed to be in camp. When are we supposed to move? When God moves. <laughs> Why can't it be that way? And I want to challenge you, it still is. It still is that way. It still is that way. And now y'all looking out the window for a cloud. That's not what I'm saying. There is no glory cloud above this building. I'm convinced, okay? Um, and look, we're moving around. There's plenty of room. He's not here. Okay, he's here by spirit, but you know what I'm saying. Um, there, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way, but it does. Uh, Motier, a commentator, pointed out that guidance was not something they looked for, but something that they waited for. And and I was like, oh, that's a little, it's just a little sentence there. And I was like, that that's what's happening. And that's still how it we should be. What what good comes from looking, looking, looking? What signs? Am I on this step or that step? God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where am I going? You know, like, that just makes me anxious and confused and tired. (laughs) But God still is present with us. He still leads us. It's not as obvious as a cloud in that way, but it's not something we have to look for. It's something we can wait for. God will lead us where we're supposed to go. Like He's leading leading the high towers. It came to them. It was obvious. A lot of people, you know, a lot of things they were praying about came about. I'm not saying don't pray, but they prayed, and and here's this here's this next chapter of life, and it it came to them. And that's much the way you think the big moments of life, the big changes in your life. It's not things that you've. You just you wrote the story and you did everything you said you were going to do. It's God brought you to where you need to be. If you're like me, some of the best things that God has worked in your life were not things you could have imagined or things that you sought out. It just, He did it. All they had to do was to rest and wait and watch and keep their eyes on Him. And that is what we're called to do. To rest in Him, to wait and watch and keep our eyes 
on Jesus. He's active leading His people then. He's active in leading us now. So His, his, his guidance is there, but also His this presence and, and guidance are permanent. We see that, and I said this before with the second point, that what God is showing is that His, his real presence is essential for communion with Him. That, that essential to who He is and essential to His redemptive plan is for Him to be Emmanuel God with us. That's what's needed. But it, He's faithful in their journey. He's, he loves them and He keeps His covenant. But there are times when we'll see in the tabernacle when the glory cloud departs, when His people turn away. But it doesn't undo, doesn't undo His faithfulness and His promise. There's going to be a time when the the tabernacle is lost and then the temple is destroyed, but that doesn't undo or, 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 or you know, undo his, his guidance and His presence. We come to realize that this isn't the full and complete answer. Though they, we realize that we need the fullness of God with us in our midst, leading and guiding, that this isn't the final answer, but it's just a picture of pointing to the more full, the more intimate way that God will be with us is when He takes on flesh. When the Son of God takes on flesh, becoming one of us. When Jesus comes. That's the fullness we need. And so this, this, this picture of this, this saying that He's with, with Israel throughout all their journeys, that is what, but a, a foretaste of what we really need and what we really have. The fullness of God in Christ, in Jesus Christ, who's a better mediator than Moses and with us in a way more full and rich than he was with Israel in the tabernacle. In the same way that God hasn't changed, but He still He's moved, He doesn't change, but He moves His redemptive plan forward, and He and we see more and more not not different, not Him not differing or changing His plan, but more and more of that plan and un, un, being unfurled, and more and more of His fullness and presence and love and grace being poured out and being experienced by His people. That's where we are now. This truth here that. He will lead us and guide us throughout all of our journeys is for us. And we know it is even more, more full and more sure on this side of the cross. Because not only does He just want to dwell in a, in a home, in a house like us, He wants to be, become one of us, dwell with us, to be our king, to be um, our brother, to be our bridegroom, and for us to be his bride. There's, there's a more intense intimacy, a more intense with, with us than we can have ever have imagined. And this guidance and this presence is permanent. Not only do we see that here, but we see it in verses like Hebrews 13, 5, where it says, 
He says, he tells us, uh, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And then we can't, we can't, you know, can't not bring up this verse, Romans eight thirty eight through thirty nine. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He puts emphasis on his dwelling because that is the desire of his heart. To be with his people. To restore what was lost in the garden. He, he, he demonstrates the fullness of his dwelling because he wants them to know, wants Israel to know that he's really there with them. And he's not only just present, but he's active. He's active in, in fellowship with them. He's active in leading them. And all this was pointing to what we need most. We need God with us. We need God present, God working, God leading, God guiding. Jesus came. He led us through death to life. He gives us His Spirit to, 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 to be present with us and to, and to draw us to Himself and to remind us of His Word. And the ultimate Emmanuel, the, 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 the thing that we look forward to, what this points to is what we read in Revelation 21. Israel saw... Yahweh come down from the mountain in the, in, the, in the glory cloud and come into the midst of their camp and dwell in this tent that he had called them that he had given them provisions and the skill to make. We see Jesus come down and live as one of us to come down as an infant to live in a broken world and struggle, but yet never sin and to die for us and to be raised again. But then there will be another coming down in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored, adorned for her husband. And I behold, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. It's beautiful, the, the symmetry of Scripture, isn't it? God coming down to His people here in the wilderness. God coming down to His people in the wilderness in Palestine over 2,000 years ago, not just to lead them to a promised land, but to really defeat our ultimate enemy, sin and death and the devil, 
And then he's going to come down again, not just himself, but with all the saints. All who, are, who have died and who are with, are with him in heaven. He'll bring them down to make all things new and we will dwell with him. That is the, that's the king. It's, it's that he's going to rescue us and we will be with him happily ever after. Let's pray. Gracious God, it's not just a fairy tale. It's true. And in our skepticism and our cynicism and our fleshliness, we, we struggle to believe it. That you want so dearly to be with us and you have done what it takes to restore our fellowship with you. Lord, help us not just to the prayer is not that we would just want you more, but help us to know first how much you love and want to be with us. Not because we're great or worthy, but because you're a God of mercy and grace. And you love the unlovely. And you delight to show compassion. And may that great love draw us in you dwell with us you've done you have in the way that you have made provision and supplied what was needed for the tabernacle you made provision and supplied what was needed when you took on flesh and you are now in heaven and you are preparing a place for us and you have this sure plan to bring your glory down again and make the and renew the whole universe. Oh God, give us hope, give us joy in this reality. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, and that we are with you because you came to us. May this meal drive this home for us, that we have a seat at your table, that you came to offer yourself for us so that we may be at home with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. bulletin we have printed just a, a really good concise description of what we are doing here in the Lord's Supper. It says communion also called the Lord's Supper or Eucharist is the family meal of Christians. We invite all committed followers of Jesus Christ to share in the sacrament. 
those who are baptized members of a congregation that proclaims the gospel, who are at peace with God and their neighbor and who seek strength to live in a deeper communion with Jesus. If you are not a Christian or are not prepared to share in this meal, we encourage you to spend this time in prayer. We hope that this time is helpful to you as you consider your relationship with Jesus Christ and with his people, the church. The sermon title is, I Am, Yahweh is Going With You. I hope you know that. I hope you know that he's with you by his spirit. He's leading. He's guiding. He desires your good. He has set out to make sure that you come into his glory. He who has called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Um, He has rescued you and he keeps you and he will not stop. Come and partake and know that this is true for you, Christian. Come and partake of this meal and be encouraged in Christ. Uh, If you're in this back section, you're going to go and receive the elements at that table. This back section, these two, you'll go receive the elements at that table. And the front sections will come forward here. We'll receive the elements and we'll hold them and then take them together after they're served. Come and partake. Jesus gathered his disciples together and as he had the Passover meal, he stopped and took the bread and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. As I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this cup 
is the new covenant in my beloved. It's poured out for many. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this meal. We thank you that it is a, a weekly sign of your presence, of your Emmanuel, you being with us, and us being with you. We thank you that um, you've given us this, this meal and you've given us your word. Um, we would not know the significance of your incarnation if not for the book of Exodus. We would not understand the need of the cross if it were not for the book of Exodus and the, the tabernacle and the atoning sacrifices. Lord, uh, we would not know you apart from this, your word. Lord, give us in, um, continued encouragement as we recall what we've heard from this book as we go back and read it again and again. We will see that your law, which is good, will see our need of atonement and that we will know that um, atonement has been provided not through a sacrifice but the sacrifice and that your presence is real and you're at work in our midst. We give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, We Will Feast in the House of Zion.